Our first reading today is from Genesis chapter 17, reading from verse 1 to verse 14. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make a covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make, you, I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you, are now, where you now reside as a foreigner I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or brought with money or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betray, portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every, everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. everyone. It's great to be with you here this morning as we ponder this question, what does it mean to be members of God's family? What does it mean to be members of God's family? <clears throat> Do we need to feel like a family? And what if we feel like foreigners? And what if we do find that within God's family, we are very different from one another? Well, today in this passage from Galatians, Paul addresses what it takes and what it means to be members of God's family, both for the Jew and the Gentile, to be united as different ethnicities, as we consider one gospel. You may have noticed that there's a little anagram on the platform today, which I hope sort of gives us a sense with the word gene pools of what it will look like to bring together very different ethnicities and their cultural understandings under the one gospel of the Lord Jesus. As we think about what it means to come from being foreigners to being a family, uh, I do want to share with you just uh, a reflection on some events that have taken place in the last week more broadly. And these relate to persecution. Um, many of you will know our mission partner, Open Doors, and many of you would have seen last year Joel, who came and spoke with us. He's given us an update on some of the goings-on in Manipur in, North, in eastern India where significantly um, tensions between the Kuki tribe, who are mostly Christian, and the Maitai people, who are the majority Hindu, has led to some significant clashes and violence. Over 200 churches in the region have been burned. Tragically, over 60 followers of Jesus have died. And so we've been asked to pray. Uh, particularly as it seems that things are escalating 
and it has been described as a potential for Manipur to be on, and I quote, the brink of civil war. So I wonder if you'd join me in prayer for our brothers and sisters, part of the broader family of the Lord Jesus around the world, um, as we pray as well for ourselves as we come under the word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do pray for the impact of the recent persecution in Manipur. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, friends and family. We pray for those who have lost, uh, lost property and, and homes, who have been displaced. For those who do not have food and shelter and are still facing threats of physical violence. Please would you provide for them access to the basics that we take for granted, for food supplies, to be able to draw out money from the ATMs, to have access to fuel where there have been many who have been cut off. And Father, would you comfort and sustain your family members who've been affected by this civil unrest? We thank you for the privilege of gospel partnership in one gospel with our brothers and sisters in India who are experiencing persecution in this way. And we thank you for the one gospel of the Lord Jesus that binds us together. So may your spirit draw near to them as their comforter in times of trouble. And may your spirit draw near to us as our guide as we come together under your word today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do keep our brothers and sisters in your prayers in this week ahead. There will, of course, be some practical ways that uh, we may be able to help. And uh, as we learn more, we'll communicate that more broadly to the church family. And as we continue in our series, One Gospel for Freedom Forever, our guiding verse for the whole series is, in essence, uh, the words of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 and on. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so Paul then says to the Galatians, stand firm then and do not yet... What happened there? Excuse me. I'm tongue-tied. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by slavery. Do not give license to the flesh, but serve one another in love. Live by the Spirit. If so, you are not under law. And so as we transition into this second section, chapters three and four, in essence we're moving from the gospel of a crucified Messiah to being drawn into a multi-ethnic family. And the big idea for today is how God moves us from being foreigners into his family. Now this was very awkward during the season in which Paul was writing to the Galatians because the Jewish followers of Yeshua felt like the Gentiles were foreigners in the family and the Gentile followers of Jesus felt like the Jews were foreign as a family and so this newly formed family which comprised law-abiding Jew and very often small g God-worshipping Gentiles was experiencing some friction in its early days. And so we're going to look at this chapter under three headings and the first one is Paul's intimation and examination. Paul's intimation and examination. Do you remember Paul? The, uh, the artist formerly known as Saul who persecuted the church in its early days and then he uh, met the risen Lord Jesus 
on the road to Damascus, as we read about in Acts 9. And so this zealous Jew, who thought he was doing right by God in persecuting uh, these new followers of this new way, discovered that in fact he'd met Messiah Yeshua, who completed and fulfilled him in his identity as a follower of the Lord God. And now he had the privilege of sharing this good news, this gospel with the Gentiles. And he's talking to these Galatians in the context of what we've read thus far, and he begins with these words. He says, you foolish Galatians. I mean, that's gonna wake you up, right? (laughs) You foolish Galatians. And he says, who has hypnotized you? You might remember that old television series from the, from the States, Bewitched, where Daryl was the husband of a, of a, of a lady, Tabitha, who, who was a witch. Bewitched. Yeah, perhaps um, over in the UK, we had very famous hypnotists, um, Paul McKenna, Darren Brown. I, I, I don't know him, but I hear, hear you have Martin St. James. Does that ring a bell as a hypnotist? There's this idea that Paul's saying to them, who has hypnotized you? Who has bewitched you? Because before your very eyes, Christ was portrayed as crucified publicly. Oh foolish Galatians, who's hypnotized you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. See, the the Galatians recognize this. They know from Paul's gospel that they are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Messiah. And so Paul's gospel says that the Galatians are no longer condemned but are now justified before God. They're no longer considered unrighteous but are now righteous in the eyes of God. So why would it be that either a Jew would go back to or a Gentile would move on to the Jewish customs? Those customs that were being brought before them, you remember, by the Jewish spies, these false spies who had uh, been saying to them in effect, you must add some extra rules to this gospel in order for God to accept you. Or, Or saying in effect, keep these extra rules so that God will not reject you, so that you keep yourself in. These Judaizers, these false teachers claiming to be sent from Jerusalem by Jesus' very own apostles, they're adding to the experience and the intellectual needs of these Galatians by saying, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to keep kosher. And Paul is putting the record straight. And he does this brilliantly today. In verses 2 to 5, an examination of their thinking Uh, Verses 6 to 9, an illustration from the Jewish father Abraham, and then finally uh, an explanation in verses 10 to 14 that I hope will stir your souls. So Paul gives an examination. Now what happens when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? There you go. Now, oh thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so glad somebody got it. Um, see, the purpose of a rhetorical question is to get you thinking, and the purpose of a joke is to make you laugh, and it's great when you get at least one out of two. Um, but Paul, <laughs> Paul wants the Galatians to ponder his questions in the light of the gospel that they've heard already, and so in verse two, he says this. He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
Have a think about it. When you came to trust the Lord Jesus, did you, did you receive the Spirit by, by doing something or because you had faith in him? Every follower of Yeshua, every follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God. We read this in Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 12. So how is it that the Spirit comes to indwell a believer? It wasn't by keeping rules or laws, was it? It was by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, by grace through faith. And so we read this last week in chapter 2, verse 16, and, and Paul says to them in another rhetorical question, uh, by first saying, however, are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You've begun with the Spirit, but are you somehow trying to close a gap with fleshly things? Beginning with grace through faith, but then putting on some extra bits is just not possible. For, for the Galatians, circumcision, Sabbath, kosher, to think that those things need to be added is foolishness. It's not ignorance, he's saying. He's saying to them, in effect, it's, it's not like you don't know these things, but my gospel made this very clear for you. Why would you think otherwise? Because if there was a little bit that anybody needed to add, then there would be room for, mo for boasting about that bit. And if there were a need to add a little bit, then all of a sudden we empty the cross of its power because there would be no need for Jesus to die for us. I heard this first here at Victory Anglican Church. God made it, we broke it, God fixed it. What do we add to that formula? We believe it. Faith. And he goes on in verses four and five to say, have you experienced so much in vain if it was really in vain? Of course, they've been suffering. And so their experience of persecution and suffering, he's saying, this is your experience. So I ask you again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles amongst you by the works of law, by believing what you heard? The problem was these spies were persuasive. These false teachers came in and they were giving solid grounds for their claims. They came in claiming the law of God through Moses as their grounds for obedience to the law. They claimed circumcision, which was the sign that God gave to Abraham, the father of the common faith. And you can imagine that that would be quite a powerful moment for them. These big speakers, these big talkers, the law of Moses, the circumcision of Abraham. But then Paul goes on to say in verse six, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the illustration. He takes them right back to the beginning to Father Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Thank you. Can we just move on? Yeah, thank you. So this is my second point. Paul gives an illustration. Next one, we have that verse, verse six. Thank you. And... Um, Paul then goes on to say, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We had that reading from chapter 17 in Genesis, didn't we? But actually there's a, there's a whole kind of story told across chapters 12 to 17. And the promise made to Abraham came in Genesis 12. God promises uh, Abraham an, an inheritance, family, land and blessing. And Abraham and Sarai at this point are very old. 
And they're like, well, there's no way we're going to have kids, right? Because we're too old for that. So initially, Abraham goes, oh, it'll be my servant, Eleazar, through whom that promise will be realized by God. And God says, no, 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 it'll be a, a child of your own body. And then we see in, in chapter um, 15 through 16 through 17 that, that Sarai takes matters into her own hands. She hands over Hagar, her maidservant, and says, oh, have a child with Hagar, and that'll be the way the promise is fulfilled. And then, of course, Abram and Hagar get together. Then Ishmael is born. And actually, God says, no, 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 this is going to be for a promise for you and for your wife, Sarah. And so it is only after that, and they have a little laugh to themselves, that God finally grants them the child Isaac, who is the child of promise. You remember, you remember you know, the story, right? Now the question is, when God would justify the Gentiles, how would he do it, verse 8? The question is, was Abraham circumcised? Well, he was circumcised, wasn't he? But he was circumcised in chapter 17, by which time Ishmael is already 14 years old. Ishmael's 14 when Isaac's born. And it's only after the birth of Isaac that we see that circumcision comes into it. So, of course, circumcision for Abraham happened 14 years after the promise. Then, have a think about when the law was given to Moses. Generations later, 400 years later. So if you've got somebody coming in and saying, it's about the law, or it's about circumcision, but actually God made the promise to Abraham well before them and he believed it and he was righteous by faith, then how could it possibly be that those Judaizers are right? And we're told this in verse eight. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations would be blessed through you. So he says to the Gentiles, have faith. You join in the blessing of Abraham. How do you join the blessing of Abraham? Verse nine, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Could Abraham have contributed anything to that blessing and promise of God? Well, when we read the story, we see that he is utterly incapable of contributing anything. In fact, when the promise was made and the covenant was made, God himself took on the vows for both himself and for Abraham. It's rather like if you imagine having a wedding up here and you've got the bride and the groom and the bride would normally say, I will, and the groom would normally say, I will. It's like um, the promise between God and Abraham. God says, I will for one party and then he also says, I will for the other party. Why? Because the other party is incapable of giving the promise. Every person, Jew, Gentile, throughout history, to come into the sustenance and salvation and security for eternity needs to rely on God by faith. Is that you? Do you live by faith in the promises of God? Or do you feel that you need to add a little something, a little additive, a little spice to the contract? Well, Paul gives an explanation why that's not possible. And he goes on in verses, my third point, verses 10 to 14. And one thing I really hope that we learn to do as a result of our time together in this section is to go back to the word of God. How it warms my heart when I talk to some of you who read your Bibles every day. I know one guy who read, has read his Bible every day for the last 30, 40 years. 
And this is the thing that Paul does. He goes back to the scriptures, to the word of God. There was um, Colin Buchanan. Does anybody know Colin Buchanan? Uh, he's written some really good songs. And there was one uh, whole album in which he, for each song, goes uh, back to it, flicks the page. You hear the pages flicking. goes, in the Bible, it says, that's the way. It's what Paul does here, Bible in hand. The thrust of his commentary here is about the spiritual reality of faith, not the physical work of law. Have a look. And what I've done is I've put the 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 quotes from the Old Testament, the scriptures in there, so that we can see where Paul's words come from. He goes, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Who sought to do what is required of the law? Paul and his contemporaries. And then they added extra layers of rules But what was the consequence for them? Well, they fell short. They were never able to keep the law. And these verses show us how the aspiration of any Jewish heart to live out the law fails. Because striving to keep the law is contrary to being declared righteous by faith. They're mutually exclusive categories. No one who relies on the law is justified before God. Rather, the law condemns. And so coming under the curse of the law just shows a person how far they fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 11 from Habakkuk here. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. There's law and there's faith. So trying to keep the law is contrary to faith. What does God want from his people? Faith. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. The moment that somebody starts trying to keep the law as a way to be right with God means they've got to keep the whole thing. Living condemned by the perfect law of God because nobody's perfect as the law can only be fulfilled by God. And who's the only person who is fully God and fully man able to keep the law? And we all say, Jesus. You see Paul's logic here, flawless from the scripture, from the word of God. And then he goes on to say, the crucified Christ redeems the curse of the law. Messiah Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or tree in his death on the wood of the cross, the Jews are redeemed from the curse of the law. Now the question begs, why did Yeshua Jesus redeem the Jews from the curse of the law? Because nobody could keep the law. So he is Messiah, he kept the law and made it possible for God's people to come into the fullness of completed right relationship with him. Is that the end of the story? No. Because look, God has a new multi-ethnic family that would be established by one gospel, both for Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles may receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Have a look at this verse here. It says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now we've got a huge problem here grammatically, guys. Why? Because Greek and English don't have the tools that help us understand. 
uh, Sarah, myself, and my family were at one point going to be going to Indonesia. We never made it. Thank God we came here instead. The thing was, we started to learn Bahasa Indonesia, which is a new language for us, and as we learned it, we discovered that there were different pronouns to what we're used to in English. So if I wanted to describe you, I would say, Kamu. And if I wanted to describe us, as in me and my clan, I would say, Kami. But what would I do if I wanted to include me and mine and you into a big we? I would have an entirely different word, right? There's we over here, but then there's we, which is kita. That's helpful, isn't it? Distinguishing between we and we. Now have a look again at this sentence and let's see what it says. He redeemed us, Jesus Messiah, he redeemed us, the Jews, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So by faith, we, Jew and Gentile, all of us might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is what one gospel does. It brings together a new family, no longer foreigners, but family by one spirit. Isn't it beautiful? It's the extraordinary poetry of the gospel that God gives us here through Paul's words to the Galatians. But then we sort of look at each other and go, well, so what? <laughs> what does that mean for life this week? Well, I've got a few reflections. Firstly, um, you, many of you will know that Sarah and I went off on a, a trip to meet our mission partners on the other side of the world. And we flew from Sydney to Chigali. Actually, no, we didn't do that. It was not that simple. We flew from Sydney to Melbourne to Dubai to Nairobi to Chigali in Rwanda. Now, can I just take you on a silly journey? Just entertain me for, the, for a moment, okay? Just imagine for a moment that we got on the plane, and we got on the plane, and we went from Sydney to Melbourne to Dubai to Nairobi, and then we, for the last leg, got on the tarmac, and Sarah and I together went and stood on the tarmac and got ready for a run-up and started flapping our arms to go from Nairobi to Jigali, from Kenya to Rwanda. How do you think we'd go? Would we get there? It'd be a very long, uncomfortable walk, baby, but we certainly can't fly our way there. So what's the point in saying that? Well, I just want to say, oh, foolish kinsteads, what folly. Because we can't finish the journey by flapping our arms without the plane carrying us. Yeshua, Jesus, fulfilled the law of the Jew and invited the Gentiles to no longer be foreigners, but to be family under the promise of God, and he did the whole journey. And no person can flap their arms and make that final bit. So first things first, I want to ask you, if you've been striving to make yourself right with God, stop it. Because you're going to wear yourself out. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, and everyone around you. Get on board with Jesus. And have the assurance of knowing that he's the one who takes you from beginning to eternity. Fully him, only him, by grace, through faith. Secondly, can I say that the natural inclination of the flesh is that we want to keep adding bits and bobs to that story, and we all do it. Reading his word carefully and prayerfully means that we will not be led astray and we will not lead others astray. And it's very easy to do. 
And Jesus has really harsh words for those who lead his people astray. You remember what he said in John 8 to those who were leading his people astray? Your father's not Abraham, your father's the devil. So let me just remind us a few things. There are goods that we enjoy together here at Fig Tree Anglican Church. Like being here today is wonderful, isn't it? But you don't need it for salvation. So the moment that we start saying to ourselves or one another, I must go to church because that's somehow getting me right with God, it's a furphy and a good becomes a not so good. Likewise, the Lord's Supper, baptism, confirmation, all good things. The Lord says, remember me in this way, but the moment we start saying we have to do this to get right with God, we are making it not so good. Let me just also consider some other cultural goods. I know that many of us at some point have gone to another church just to go and do a little window shop. It happens, right? Because sometimes we think to ourselves, oh man, the music just isn't hitting my heart here. Or maybe the preaching's not quite what I'd like it to be. Or maybe the, but looking for add-ons at other churches, what are we saying to the Lord? I just need this to draw a little bit closer to you, to get a little bit wider with you. Now I know it's very easy to look over the fence at our neighbors and go, you're wrong, we're right. But there are some reasons for the Reformation. And so when we look to our cousins in the Catholic Church, there are some practices there that are very easy to observe for which we need to say, you don't need these things to be right with God. Prayer for the saints who have already gone and died is not a biblical practice. Indulgences, paying money, spending time for those who are supposedly in purgatory so that they might somehow accelerate into heaven from there is not right. There are all manner of additional things that somehow get us extra grace with God in the Roman Catholic doctrine that are not right. And then I want to go even further and say that I'm hearing stories of, of folks who have got forced slaying in the spirit, particularly as I've been recently over in Africa, um, paying prosperity gospel to make sure that pastors get in their private jets, um, the idea of liberation theology where we're going to come out from under the slavery of a corrupt government, all these things, to expect these things are additions to the gospel of grace which are now becoming not goods but bads. And so again, I come back to encouraging us to continue to walk with the word of God in such a way that we move away from these distortions and additions, the additives. Thirdly, I wanna say that it is by grace through faith. People do all they can to find ways to please God other than his way, even in church. But one gospel unites Jew and Gentile through grace, not works. Through faith, not works. It is the Spirit who lives in us who enables us to do the good work that God has in mind for us. And finally, we do not consider foreign those who are in God's family, even if we or they feel it. We began with considering those of our brothers and sisters in India, and here we are in the Illawarra, and it can feel a long way away, but they are as close a members of the family of God as we could ever conceive of. In Yeshua Jesus, they are our family. In Yeshua Jesus, you are family. 
whether you think it or feel it, it's true because God says it and God made it so. And let us never challenge that because that's his precious gift to us. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, by grace through faith for our unity in one gospel of Yeshua Messiah and Jesus Christ with brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history, we rejoice to be here in the Illawarra and to be able to come to the throne of grace with those of our brothers and sisters facing persecution in India and to know that we are united with Jews and Gentiles who have faith in the Lord Jesus throughout history and will continue to do so until you have gathered together your eternal family forever. Continue to shape our thoughts, our words, our prayers, and our works for your glory, we pray, in the light of what we learned. Amen.